solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a pod. We are doing chapter six, Talons and Tea Leaves, and Elizabeth is back again. Hey everyone. And I am excited to have her on this chapter because oh gosh, we are going to fight it out, I think. We're not going to be friends anymore after nope, this. Nope, this might be her last time on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I'm kidding. It's all good. It's not like we've had debates on this podcast. We've had quite a few. It's fine. Uh, so anyway, this this chapter is kind of a really cool chapter, I thought. Mm-hmm. it's Essentially, it starts off uh, in the Great Hall, uh, and Harry's getting ready for his first day of classes, and... You know, Malfoy's doing Malfoy things and being a punk. Yep. <laughs> and Fred and George are kind of there as the first ones to kind of reassure him, which I think is a, a really cool thing, uh, which we can get into a little bit later. But the bulk of this chapter is spent with Harry discovering his two new classes. This uh, is like one of those chapters that I love because it's like it's. It's the school aspect of mm-hmm. his time at Hogwarts. Not my life is being threatened and I have to like do or die kind of a thing. It's just like here, let's let's show you what magic looks like for students. Shocking that I'd want to have the teacher on to discuss. The oh, class. that's why I'm here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's not like I schedule these things out in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there are reasons, there are methods to my madness. But anyway, we discover the divination class for the first time with Professor Trelawney, Sybil Trelawney, and mm-hmm. we discover what Hagrid's Care of Magical Creatures class will look like. And we look at Hermione's class schedule, and right off the bat, we know there's not enough time for her to, to have... The, I mean, Ron yeah. said, you have three classes at nine in the morning. How? Yeah. No, it's it's very valid. <laughs> it's one of the points where Ron is like, uh, you can't do that. Right. Like, just logically, you aren't supposed to be able Dan to do that. Dan has challenged me to try to draw up Hermione's class schedule the way I did McGonagall's. If I get time, I will try, but oh gosh, it, it's going to be a little complicated looking. <laughs> It'll be very squished together. Very squished together. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they're talking about the classes. Uh, Hermione is just shrugging this off mm-hmm. uh, as best as she can, getting progressively more and more irritated. <laughs> uh, but they all decide like, Oh man, we got to leave because we got to get up to the North Tower, mm-hmm. and it's going to take us like ten minutes to get there. Is what mm-hmm. they estimate. It shows how large Hogwarts is. Yes, so they have a long trek to get to, and uh, then they get lost along the way because <laughs> which I love. It's like wait, you're in your where third are year we? here, and you still don't know where everything is in Hogwarts. No, I mean it's it's a big castle with a lot of different things, a lot of staircases which move on you randomly, which we learned. Right. Uh, th- you know things like that can confuse you, and then I think they start arguing about which way was north. Right. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, and then we meet a wonderful painting. <laughs> it's just in- it's a great introduction to the painting because it's this yes. empty field, and then suddenly a. Pony of sorts appears. <laughs> just like strolls into the frame. Yep. And starts grazing. <laughs> and then a, a little bit later on, this 
bumbling knight comes in <laughs> and can't seem to do anything right and then challenges. Yeah, like he fell off his horse. He couldn't draw his sword, which just makes me think <clears throat> about the lives that the portraits lead. You know, I mean, like yeah. so far we've only really seen with the fat lady and her job is very clear. And but I mean, like for them, we know portraits move, but we haven't seen them like living a life and this is what he's been doing he's challenging them to a fight <laughs> how would that even work <laughs> but anyway <clears throat> so uh, long story short he uh ends up showing ron harry and hermione the way to the north tower because it's a quest that he must right. he must accomplish so um he's running ahead through the portraits ahead of them and they're just kind of well, the portraits are like what are you doing get out of here they're like running past all these portraits to get to the north tower which they finally arrive at mm-hmm. and they're like where is this classroom right and then they... there's no actual door no where you would think it would be right it's in the ceiling there's a trap door that also they don't know how to open either right and then, like, when the class is supposed to start, it just comes down with, a, uh, like, a silver ladder. Or yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Which is not very friendly for anyone with disabilities, but that's the whole You're thing. You're climbing a ladder in robes. Yeah. Just that alone is difficult <laughs> to do. <laughs> like, it's not a great mechanism. Um, even if, forget it, if I'm in jeans and a t-shirt, yeah, I'm not exactly I wanting to... I just don't want to be to, climbing a ladder yeah, I don't to get climb to my to, class. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. Uh, poor, <laughs> like, what if happens if someone's afraid of heights? Like, climbing down the ladder? La- <laughs> it's just terrible. Anyway. Um, anyway, so we get into this classroom. I think you have the description of the classroom. Yes. Let's see. Harry says, he merged into the strangest looking classroom he had ever seen. In fact, it didn't look like a classroom at all. Laura like a cross between someone's attic and an old-fashioned tea shop. At least 20 small circular tables were crammed inside of it, all surrounded by chintz armchairs and fat little puffs. Everything was lit with a dim crimson light. The curtains at the windows were all closed, and many lamps were draped with dark red scarves. It was stifling warm, and the fat that was burning under the crowded mantelpiece was giving... Sorry, the fire that was burning under the crowded mantelpiece was giving off a heavy, sickly sort of perfume as it heated a large copper kettle. The shelves running around the circular walls were crammed with dusty-looking feathers, stubs of candles, many packed of packs of tattered playing cards, countless silvery crystal balls, and a huge array of teacups. It's a fun room. It is a fun room. It's, <laughs> it's got a lot of character to it, yeah. which we really haven't seen before. Yeah. But you, and, and she mentions in the chapter how she doesn't really, like, go into other parts of the castle very often. She's very secluded in her room. So you essentially get the idea of, and I think it's true for most professors that they essentially live... In your room. In their office. Yeah, kind of. Um, but this particularly seems very homey. Like, this feels like it's where she resides. Other than the smell of the perfume, I could easily see, like, hanging out, just chilling in her room. Yeah. It'd be fun. I like it's how Harry describes, the, like, the whole setting with the comfier chairs mm-hmm. and the perfume and the warmth of it. Mm-hmm. It almost puts you into, like, a stupor. Yeah. Uh, you just take a nap. Yeah, if it's like the first <laughs> class right out the bat, which is like 9 a.m., like... Yeah, you're going to fall back asleep. How, how many kids are going to fall asleep? Like, <laughs> nothing to do with the subject matter, just the environment that you're in is going to put a lot of kids to sleep. But anyway, uh, especially with the workout that he has to get Yeah, it doesn't get there. So um, we know she teaches divination. Divination. 
I want to really dig into this in the spoiler section because there's a lot to talk about with Sybil Trelawney. Well, do we just want to say what divination is? Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead with that description. I it is a branch of magic that involves attempting to foresee the future or gathering insights into the past, present, and future events through various rituals and tools. Which, of course, Trelawney talks about, like you know, crystal gazing and palmistry, palmistry and tea, tea leaves, leaves, which is where we start. Right. Um, so we're looking into the future and the past. None of this is up Hermione's alley. No. <laughs> At which there's a quote that specifically mentions that and uh-huh. why, which that I want to dig into more in the spoiler section. Okay. So we'll get to that quote later. But this is, Hermione realizes very quickly, this is not her subject. Right. And I'm just going to throw it out there now. I am not pleased with Hermione in this chapter. <laughs> And we'll get into it uh, when we go to their next class, uh, mm-hmm. where it kind of gets, it doubles down, essentially. Um, but I have issues with Hermione mm-hmm. from the get. And Ron points it out gr- very quickly of like, oh, this doesn't seem like this is going to be a good subject for you. And she immediately gets very defensive with it. Yeah. Because she looks startled because Trelawney says books can only take you so far in this field. And she's like, books aren't going to help me. What? Right. So immediately she's taking a very negative tone to this whole I guess class. It's the, similar, the most similar thing we've seen to that was flying lessons because yeah. books didn't help. You need that. like an actual. You need to have the skill. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least some element of athleticism in order to fly. And she you need an extra element to your magical ability right. to make it work. Which, again, we'll get into in the spoiler section here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> Trelawney goes to begin teaching the class. Mm-hmm. And it's a tea leaves class, Talons and Tea Leaves, mm-hmm. chapter title. So um, the students start to dig into making the tea leaves, making the tea straining it out and reading whatever's left on the bottom of the cup. And while all of this is happening, Trelawney is starting to go off and make prediction upon prediction upon prediction. Right. Which I want to specify predictions are different from prophecies, which we'll talk more about later, but there is the big difference between the two. So some of these predictions Hermione takes issue with. Some of them are hard to prove (laughs) to say the least. Some of them are like, well, of course that's going to happen because right. whatever. It's it's like it's not really a prediction. It's it's, it's a just, cold reading. Yeah. You know, it's a good enough prediction that it's not really a prediction. And then some are, you know, hit and miss. So it's I like, mean like within this chapter she predicts how Neville's grandmother isn't well, how she herself is going to lose her voice and flu is going to be going around at some point. They're going to lose a kid around Easter. We don't know why, but we're going to lose a student. Lavender is going to get bad news on October 16th, which is a pretty specific prediction to make. Well, she didn't mention a year. (laughs) (laughs) So. But October the 16th. That could be like 30 years from now and she'll be like, called it. (laughs) Um, Neville is going to break a cup. How Harry has the grim and Neville will be late to the next lesson. And you're right. Like half of those are, I mean, you can just tell from looking at Neville that that he's going to break something. (laughs) True, and if you've, I imagine she's done a little bit of homework and talked to some, or oh, seen yeah. Neville somewhere. You so you want to talk about your next? If you know he's kind of clumsy, right? Uh, you could probably pretty. It's it's an educated guess. Right. Which, if you know any kind of, uh, I don't know if you saw the 
if anybody has seen the movie Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm, yeah, where uh, it's Bradley Cooper and he's it's a carnival gag. Yeah, it's a lot of educated guesses, predictions based on reads of people. Right. And, you know, you say something, they react a certain way, and then you target it in from there. That right, kind of thing. Right. She's doing some of that here with Neville. Of, like, she might not know exactly what he's going to do, but she can, like, probably pick out some general things. Mm-hmm. Which does come true. Mm-hmm. He does end up dropping a He a, breaks a his cup. Yeah. So, I mean, and that is a skill. But that's more of a, it's a skill that you can. It's a parlor trick. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it is. Which Hermione kind of picks up on is like, are you really legit or not? Because right. some of these I could have done, right? And some and of them no are just, you know, there's no way of proving them yet, so you can't be impressed by right. something that hasn't come true yet, right? But, but to Trelawney's uh benefit, there are some students in the class, Lavender and Parvati, I believe. Yeah, Parvati. They're, they they hook on to her very quickly. They're more uh, believers. Yeah. Um, who take more of this information more seriously and more gravely. So you re- you run the gambit in the classroom, mm-hmm. and then some are just confused, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's fine. I do enjoy how like when they're trying to read the tea leaves, like from the start, Ron and Hermione, Ron and Harry are trying, and but they're like Harry said, the perfumes and the heat gets to him, and it's just kind of like, I mean, I think this kind of resembles this shape. Maybe this is what this means for you. Who knows? There is one thing before I want to move on to the next class, but when she says the Grim. Mm. And all of the students are, like, surrounding Harry now. The omen of death. And he's looking at what the Grim is. They're telling him what the Grim is and what it means. And he's, unbeknownst to everybody else, mm. he's thinking back to Magnolia Crescent. Yeah, and he I saw, saw a, a big, large, dog-like figure right. in an alleyway. Right. And he's got this background of, like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> like, like, and Hermione is just, you know, going Hermione's out. like, I don't think it looks like the Grim. But he's thinking, like... Trelawney might not be great, but she also might not be wrong either. Right. Like there's, there's she a, might not be as big of a fraud as everyone thinks. There's she a is. plausibility here that Trelawney might actually uh, have a little bit more accuracy than maybe people think. Yeah. So, which I was trying to dig deeper of um, and see how many of her predictions do come true. The record isn't awful. We'll talk about more in the spoilers, but. So, uh, going from divination, you now have the polar opposite type of class. McGonagall's. You have McGonagall's Transfiguration <laughs> class. And before we get into the class specifically, I'd just love to say that she's teaching them about Animagi. Right. Which is... Which is super fun for us as readers, because we saw her like that in the very first chapter. Right. At which she does that trick. She transforms herself into the, the cat with the spectacle markings and back. Oh, it's so awesome. Be a cat. And then she gets zero reaction. <laughs> and this is the only time you really ever see her be like kind of cocky a little bit. Yeah. Kind of like full of herself because she's like, that's the first time I've ever done it. And I haven't gotten applause. Which to be fair, like, yeah, it's a really cool bit of magic. This subject is insanely cool. How are you not like paying attention to this and asking her a billion questions? They just skip over it so quickly, which is such a shame. It is. I would like, if I were a student and this is a transfiguration class, I'm like, um, 
this is way better than turning a rat into a teacup. Can I know more about this? Like, <laughs> if I, what is up with this? If I were McGonagall, I would so troll my students and, like, wander around the castle as a cat. And then when they get to my class and then I'm, like, stroll right in. This is... This subject is... Uh, it is a very cool thing. We're talking about third years. Yeah. You're bringing in new subjects now. You're starting to form... And this is their first are. lesson of the third year. Yeah. You know? We're starting off like with a bang. You're starting to figure out who you are as a student, who you are magically, mm-hmm. and you're going to take this up going forward. This, for me, would be a, a puns aside, like a transformative, uh, transformative class of being like. It would make me want to become one. It would make me want to learn more about transfiguration. What can I do here? To achieve what McGonagall has achieved. Or forms. I'm like, if you're, like, I I can't say that because we'll have to come back to it in spoilers. But (laughs) this would be a transformative class for me. Mm -hmm. Like, this individual class Mm -hmm. would be like, oh, and my mind would just go... It it goes from, like, when am I ever going to use this in real life to, whoa. Yeah. It it would just blow my mind and be like, oh, I need to really, like... Study it. Double down on this now. yeah. Anyway, um, but she notices that there was no applause for her. <laughs> so she asked why, and they explained to her that she just they just all came from divination, and she goes... Harry was predicted to die. <laughs> yeah, so uh, McGonagall essentially reaffirms everything that Hermione had just formulated in her thoughts. Well, she tries to be professional about it. But she's not. She's not... To an extent, I mean, I, I totally agree with her because I've had coworkers before who are not the best teachers. Um, sorry, but pause yeah. for just a second. This is where we're gonna have fights later. <laughs> I think we're gonna dip into the fights more in the spoiler section. So if you want to hear Elizabeth and I really get after each other, <laughs> stick around to the spoilers. But continue. I mean, she tries to be professional, which like you should do, but at the same time, yeah, there's the recognition like. Oh, yeah, she just predicted that you guys are going to die. Hmm. She does that every year. Don't take it too To seriously. be fair, we're coming off of a Chamber of Secrets where a bunch of kids almost died. <laughs> <laughs> like, and one has died before. It's not like an right. unprecedented thing. Right. So. Right. But, I mean, from McGonagall's perspective, it's like, you know, she predicts everyone is going to die. And she yeah. said none of them have died yet. So it could easily be that they're going to die in, like, 50 years. Like, who knows? But... Also, it almost, the way she was describing it, it almost struck me as, like, this is a game that Trelawney plays, like, the first day of class. Yeah, it's an impressive <laughs> way, it's an impressive class for her. I don't like, even think she necessarily even means it. Like, the way it's coming off from McGonagall is, like, she does this every year. Like, yeah. she tells, like, oh, yeah, kid's gonna die it's, every year. It's, it's almost like much, a... she's trying, she knows, these are her students. This is her house, and she knows they need the reassurance. Because, I mean, first of all, like she said, like, I didn't get applause. Not necessarily, like, I need it, but the fact that you haven't suggests there's something on your mind. It's freaking you out. Okay, let me calm you down and know that she doesn't suffer years. It's not going to really be a thing. And just, let's move on with our calm down. It's going to be okay. And she reassures Will, but, of course, he's not fully professional with it. We're going to talk more about all of these teachers <laughs> later in the spoiler, so we'll get there. But I wanted, before uh, we run too long, I wanted to get to the third class that's featured in this chapter. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's Hagrid's first class is Care of Magical Creatures. I love it. So 
<laughs> we find out he assigned, you know, the Monster Book of Monsters. Yes. They find out how to open the Monster Book of Monsters, which is adorable. <laughs> I mean, it does make sense. You just stroke it. <laughs> yeah, you just stroke the spine and it just kind of like opens up for you calmly. Yeah. Uh, but obviously every student has theirs like bound shut in some way, shape or form. I will pause for a second. And it did remind me of what Ron said last book with like, you know, you don't like magical books have, there's lots of different magical books out there that can have a really big effect on you. I was just thinking like this magical book is a creature kind of like, are they bred? Are they like, how are they published? (laughs) Like, how is it like you you have a book and then you put a spell on it that makes it become sentient? Or is it just like... Is it... Like, how do they become a thing? That's what I want to know. I mean, it has eyes. Right. And a mouth and, and it moves. Like, I could... I could easily see one escaping one of the kids and wandering off into the Forbidden Forest. But, like, what does it eat? Paper? <laughs> I don't know if you qualify it as a creature... Or is it charmed to be like that? I don't yeah, know. I don't know the answer. It's a weird, like, middle ground kind of thing. It's a, yeah, it was just, it's a I was just between. thinking about it, and I was just like, this is That's so fair. weird. That's a fair question. <laughs> so, anyway, obviously, uh, we have the Slytherins and the Gryffindors together in this yeah. class. And so you get, you get the Harry Draco dynamic all over again. And uh, I think you had in your notes, it's starting to get a little old. Yeah, he's uh, starting to be like, like, there's a Dementor behind you. We're, oh. we're, we're a day in and it's already starting to My get a child, little old. child, you have overused <clears throat> it already. Let it go. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, they get into all of that. And after Hagrid teaches him how to open their books, uh, he has quite an impressive lesson planned for them. I love it. And I will tell you this, on the reread, I did not realize... Uh, I've. I think he says there's a dozen hippogriffs. Or there, there's yeah, a, there's, there's a, a whole paddock of... There's a, paddock, yeah. Which paddock makes me think of the velociraptors from <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, but uh, he brings in multiple hippogriffs, mm-hmm. which I didn't remember. It was like remember. three or four to a hippogriff. Yeah. I, I didn't realize there were, there were that... It makes sense, but yeah. I didn't realize that there were that many. Yeah. It also makes me realize, like, where is he getting these magical creatures from? Yeah. Like, was there like a rent I, program, rent a rent a creature kind of? I don't to know. Teach a creature? Maybe he has a. Maybe he's got like he's Newt got a on, He's I, got Newt on like speed dial or something. Let me let me steal your suitcase for a second or, or two. Or I don't know, like because they can't all be from the forbidden. No, forest. they can't possibly be. So I don't know where he's getting necessarily all of them, but anyway. Uh, so the lesson goes uh, to Hagrid's credit. I think he does a good job of actually teaching. Yes. And he does state some facts about hippogriffs and some things you need to know about these creatures before oh. ever actually mixing the two together. Right. I mean, general care. You have to bow to them. That's the respectful thing to do. If they bow right. back to you, then you can, you know, get closer. If not, back away very Absolutely. Quickly. Don't insult them, you know. No. Because they're so proud and... Try to keep eye contact. Don't pull out their feathers. Like there's, there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of information he lays out that same way a textbook would. Only it's more practical because here's the living creature right in front of you. Can I just do a quick personal story, real quick? Yes. When you go to the Warner Brothers Studios in London, yeah, and you go through their Harry Potter like studios, there's the Hippogriff from the third movie, and. 
you go up and it's sitting. Mm-hmm. But you go up to it, and if you bow to it, it will bow back to you. Aww. It's a really, really cool thing. That is cool. And I remember, the, like, the producers going through, like, the first time, and they brought, like, I, I don't know if it was one of their kids or if it was, like, a Make-A-Wish type thing or mm-hmm. whatever. But the kid, like, bowed to it and bowed back, and it was the, the kid, like, freaked out. It was so happy. Aww. It was a cool moment, and it's a cool thing when you go to the studios. Anyway, that's yeah. a side personal story. But no, that's very cool. Uh, so, yeah, he does a good job of explaining all of this. And then um, Harry volunteers by... Guilt. <laughs> well, by guilt and also... Pity. By other students backing up progressively. Yeah. I mean, he feels bad for Hagrid because this is his very first lesson. Right. And, I mean, even from Hagrid's perspective, like, 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 like I said, this is a great lesson. It's engaging. It's practical. It's hands-on. They're outside. They have the information. And... Obviously, while Hagrid has never taught a lesson before, he is an expert in the stuff that he's talking about. Like, it, it's not like he's, you know, just BSing it. Um, he's particularly, you can tell he's got a passion and he's got right. a, a, a real desire for this subject. Right. Where he falters is the confidence. And, like, when everyone is backing away from the um, hippogriff, and he's just like, anyone, please? Anyone want to try it, please? And I totally know that feeling of just trying to get someone to participate. Um, so ha- Harry, of course, is going to be that student. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll do this for you, though I don't really want to. <laughs> I do have some questions for you on the whole teaching aspect, because we're going into your realm of expertise. <laughs> Uh, although I do have some teaching experience myself. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, but no, you're obviously the expert here. So we have some questions for you uh, in the spoiler section. But just to wrap up this, because I know we're running long. Uh, we have uh, Harry actually goes up. He does it well. Mm-hmm. Bows, gets the bow back, is able to actually pet the the hippogriff, which everything goes well. Haggard throws him up on the hippogriff. <laughs> Smacks the hippogriff. Wait, so your buckbeak? Are you just like, why do I have to now fly around with this kid yeah. on my back? And uh, <laughs> it's not exactly the scene from the movie. It like literally flies around the paddock and then lands. He doesn't go all over the the Is ground. That what it does in the movie? Yeah, the movie goes remember. all around the grounds, over the lake, and blah blah blah. So it's not exactly that, but still uh, a scene to prove it mm-hmm. uh, that you know Harry kind of has this good connection, and then uh, other kids feel encouraged to come up. Most of it goes. Pretty well. Uh, even Draco's goes well. Yeah, Buckbeak bows. He to bows him. to the hippogriff. The hippogriff bows back. Except, and, and dun, dun, dun. then Draco, being Draco, has to make a snarky comment about Potter and the hippogriff Which itself. Unfortunately, insults the hippogriff right. in the process. So then uh, the hippogriff reacts, injures Draco, and Hagrid is forced to like carry Draco to the hospital wing. Right. And uh, thus ends the care of magical creatures class. Which I feel so bad for Hagrid. I mean, it was a really good lesson. It was a really great start to care of magical creatures. And here we got this punk who wasn't paying attention destroying it. So I have some thoughts on all three of these classes. (laughs) Some of which Elizabeth will probably agree with. Some of which she will not. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll head into the spoilers. Uh, please come back if you want to see Elizabeth try to kill me. <laughs> and <laughs> That's too much blood for me to clean up. Sorry, Dan. And uh, this time she will actually be saying this, uh, this break sound. So <laughs> we'll be right back with the spoilers. You, you foul loads of them evil little cockroach. 
All right, so we're back with the spoiler section. Hopefully you enjoyed Elizabeth yelling at me in the <laughs> break sound. And I just wanted to start off, uh, we talked to begin the non-spoiler section with Fred and George and how they kind of reassured Harry through that whole process of Draco making fun of him again. And um, I was thinking as I read that, that this is really Fred and George kind of coming into their own during this book. Uh, yes, They've had moments in previous books, and yes, they've helped Harry in previous books, but... They're being older brothers to him. Yeah, they're taking him under their wing a little bit. They're helping him more in, than just in Quidditch or whatever. And yes, right. it might be because he just helped save Ginny in the last book, and he spent more and more time with them and yeah, all of that. But I, it just struck me, because obviously we have the map coming in later, and their relationship really... Uh, it just takes off yes. from here. Yeah, I definitely can see that. I mean, like in the past, it's just been like, oh, we're the big, we're the pranksters that everyone likes to pay attention to and they get to joke around and stuff, but there's more depth to them than that. They care. They care about Harry. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit uh, in the break and uh, you brought up the point that they're getting older. They're fifth years. They're maturing a little bit while still being pranksters. Right. But they are starting to mature a little bit, and maybe the Ginny thing kind of shocked them a little bit. Yeah, I into, lost our sister. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of shocked them into like, oh, wait, maybe we need to be a little bit more protective? I don't know. Let's keep the kid around who keeps saving us. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, now we have a lot to talk about with the teachers. <laughs> so uh, let's start with Hagrid. Okay. And Hagrid's class. And... I'm going to start out with the positive first. Like I said in the non-spoiler, he does do a really good job of actually teaching them about hippogriffs. Mm -hmm. That should not go understated. Mm -hmm. He gave them important key facts that they were going to need to know for this lesson. Like you said, it's a passion of his that he's had since before he went to Hogwarts. He has a lot of experience with magical creatures. Now, before I get into the negatives... I'm not saying Hagrid can't be a good care of magical creatures. Like you just said, he has a really deep passion and knowledge for this subject, for these creatures. They obviously right. care for him. They obviously respect him as a being. Right. You saw that with Aragog. Right. So I'm not saying he can't be a good teacher here. Here's where I get into the negative bits. So he's starting third years off with hippogriffs. Maybe not the best way. And he acknowledges that. Maybe should have started with something a little bit more low-key. But he wanted to kind of start off impressing everybody on his first lesson. You're right. I do already have thoughts about this. <laughs> but, but but here's here's my real question for you. Yeah. And serious. All, like, love of Hagrid aside. Yeah. And love for the subject aside. Seriously. Should he have been hired here? And I'm just saying this as a qualification. He got expelled in his third year. <laughs> I get it. it was for a false accusation. I understand right. that. Right. But how do you hire someone to Who come never in? Taught? Who's never taught before, has no experience teaching, didn't even finish out his education at Hogwarts. It just seems as though his qualifications maybe aren't worthy of the job. I could see it as... Love Hagrid. I love Hagrid, but I'm just saying. Well, first, like, in general with... 
I mean, at least with American schools, if there's an open position, you have to open up internally first to see if anyone wants to apply for it. So I could see them as having done that of like, hey, magical creatures, anyone interested? And I would be like, yes, please. But I do think that this is more Dumbledore just being like, hey, do you want it? And Hagrid being like, wait, I can teach? That's an option for me? What? Cool. Absolutely. Yes, I'll take it. It's Dumbledore doing whatever he wants to do. It, yeah, it's, it's Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah. That, and from Dumbledore's perspective, I can see like, obviously, yes, Hagrid has the knowledge, has the passion, has... Dumbledore's trust, his personality certainly like fits in with the staff and and Dumbledore knows that he's going to do what needs to be done. The problem that like you accurately pointed out though is I mean he hasn't taught. It's not even like I mean granted there's a difference between your very first year of course like you're not going to be perfect from the start but at least you get practice in your student teaching and Hagrid has never done that before and to have his very first lesson with the hippogriffs I don't know I do think it was a really really good first lesson but I could also see the argument that it might not have been the best way to start off your class it is it's an impressive thing it's uh I mean, it's it's a well planned out lesson. It, it's very very well planned out. But do you think Draco in year five or six is that immature enough to make that comment in that class next to a hippogriff, <laughs> or do you think he's more mature? My point is, hippogriffs save it for later. Right. Third years might not be emotionally mature enough. I think in general, it's just Malfoy believing he's better than a half giant and one who lives in a poor hut. Maybe. And I mean, all know, that's true. Yes. Who loves Harry oh so much. All that's true, but I'm just thinking like an older Malfoy's. I think his priorities Malfoy, are a little bit different. Malfoy is just so full of his ability to like. Just get away with stuff. I think Hagrid also made the mistake of assuming that everyone's actually going to be listening to his lesson. It's a rookie mistake. Yeah. It's a rookie mistake. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just, I love Hagrid. And I know he's an expert in this field. It, it's, it's, it's very just... much like, I mean, when you are in college and you're taught how to like put a lesson together like i mean they are very big on like you know here you preview the lesson and then you get into the nitty-gritty of it and you need some kind of like application process and to have them you know try to have it be student-led as opposed to just you lecturing and then you close off the lesson like there's there's a structure and in terms of structure he did a great job but when you go from having the lesson on the page to actually teaching it it never goes the way you want it to. There's always something that just messes it up and you have to be confident enough to be flexible with it. And I think he just lacks the confidence that will come with practice. So, and we have a very rocky relationship with the board of governors of Hogwarts at this point. (laughs) Granted. But seriously, if you were to put your resume to a a board of governors Mm -hmm. at a... At the, the school board at a, oh, I'm at a sure school. Oh, I'm sure you were like, Dumbledore, why did you hire him? And if your resume included being expelled before your education was completed. Right. 
would you be hired? Probably not. No. That, but I also wonder you know, if maybe it was one of those cases where there weren't any applicants. Hogwarts has been a very dangerous place lately. I don't know if well, I want to work there. And later in the books, you see, like, they'll get other... Uh, Grubbly Plank comes in, and yeah. more like teachers that are like more experienced. Sub. Yes, to sub. sub. But they're experienced teachers who also know the subject, and there's a discernible difference in what Hagrid is doing versus what they're doing, which the students comment on. And they're like, yeah. oh, this is what well, the subject is. Well, I think in part, they approach it more as a care of magical creatures. You know, here's how you, you know, here, like, like the unicorn lesson. Like, here's all the information you need to know about a unicorn, especially if you ever come across one in the wild. Here are the magical properties of the unicorn. This is why you use it in potions and mm -hmm. stuff. But Hagrid approaches it as, like, magical creatures. And they exist. And here are the cool things about it. It's very, like, it's like Newt with, like, his magical creatures, I feel like. Newt would do a better job of. He would do a better job of like explaining better, it and keeping would, the animals safe. But he, it's two different personalities too. Very much so. Newt would also explain it at a level much higher than a third year is capable yeah. of understanding. Yeah. So it's it's two similar but different. Yeah. But anyway, uh, before we <laughs> take the whole time on Hagrid. Um, There's another professor we're going to talk about. We have a whole other professor to talk about. And <laughs> this, I think, is where Elizabeth and I are going to clash probably the most. <laughs> So, uh, the quote that I mentioned in the non-spoiler section that I want to get to first, mm -hmm. and it jumped out at me because other people on the podcast, I won't mention names, Anna, <laughs> but, and you, you, Elizabeth, have also, like, made some comments about Professor Trelawney, uh, and, uh, you know, on Twitter, on this podcast, on other things, and this quote struck out to me. Because it's in direct defiance of what you give her so much flack for. Mm -hmm. And she comes right out forefront and says it. If you don't have the site, site being capitalized, capitalized right, as right. site. If you don't have the site, there is very little I will be able to teach you. Books can take you so far. Right. She comes right out and says front and center. Like you either have this or you don't. Right. Books can't do everything for you. You need to have a certain level of a gift for it. Right. She comes right out and says that. People attack her all the time for being a bad teacher. She literally says in her opening comment, and but and here's the thing. It's not just the comments she makes. Elizabeth, I know you're getting ready. No, I'm just trying to remember when I said that she was a good no, teacher, that you were... Not a good teacher. You said that she's not. So here, so here, before <laughs> before you get ready to attack me here, okay, okay, before you get ready to attack me, <laughs> and some people will come at me and say, well, that's a quote to cover her own butt as a bad teacher. Okay. They'll, they'll come at me and say like, oh, she's just saying that because she knows she can't teach it, so blah, 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 blah. She's saying that ahead of time mm -hmm. as a like a pre-excuse type of thing. No, that's the truth. <laughs> she's telling you the objective truth about the subject and why because and you have a whole history on trelawney which you'll get to in a second yeah. but she herself is a seer whether or not she knows the extent of it is, <laughs> is debatable because well, of, she doesn't she doesn't know the extent that's of it. fair because of the nature of the thing though right the nature of the gift 
kind of works to that. Right. And it's it's one of the issues that I have with Hermione, and it's one of the issues that I have with McGonagall, and I think she's just objectively wrong. It comes from a disrespect of the subject. <laughs> it comes from a disrespect of we can't objectively learn this. Therefore, it is not worthwhile, or it's not a worthy pursuit. That's... I think I agree with you more than you think I do. Here's the... So I said in the non-spoiler that Hermione ticked me off in this chapter. Right. Close-minded people bother me. They bother me. I'm more of an open-minded person. I will hear out and I do this podcast. I hear <laughs> I hear opinions all the time. Right. And I'm not close-minded to any of them. If you have or Anna has or Molly has or whoever comes on this podcast has thoughts I'll listen to them and I'll take them in. I'm like, wow, I never thought of that before. That's that's a really cool take. It right. happens all the time. Right. Which is the perk of doing this. But the idea that Hermione and Professor McGonagall are so close-minded to the subject to begin with, the principles of the subject, which they just flat out blatantly ignore completely, and her as a person bother me. And Hermione's a student. She's 13. I get it. McGonagall should be better. She should objectively be better at this. And it, it just kind of angered me. I'm not saying Trelawney is the, the best teacher at Hogwarts or anything. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is she gets a lot of flack and a lot of hate. Unnecessary. Because if you actually look at the thing, she does a great job. She does a great job. The students are part of the problem here. <laughs> the students' lack of respect towards her and her subject are part of the problem. They don't care at all. They think it's a myth. It's not real. It's not objectively a thing. So why put in the effort? Why give effort to actually learn? There's only a couple of students that actually put in effort here. Right. So why are we blaming Trelawney for the students' blatant lack of respect when McGonagall, another professor, has already disparaged her and the subject. It's, I have problems with it. Clearly. Clearly <laughs> I have issues. And this is like one of the few times on this podcast where I'm like putting my foot down. I'm like, no, this is, it's not right. She deserves a little bit more leniency and a little bit more respect. That's just me. Okay, so you have said so many things. That I don't I've know. said a lot of things. I don't know if I can actually respond to all the things that you said, so I'm just going to say my thoughts in general. You can start with your history on Trelawney because that's important. Okay, well, then then I'll get into all the things you said. Yeah. So Trelawney, we know, is the great-great-granddaughter of the famed seer Cassandra Trelawney. And in Greek mythology, Cassandra was an oracle who made accurate prophecies, but she was always cursed to, um, for people to never believe her prophecies. And so that makes me wonder, like, you know, is part of Sybil's, like, her way of going about prophecies and stuff, is part of that maybe because of the history of her great-grandmother, you know, like, if did she not get believed as much or, or whatever the case may be. Um, her curse seems to be more her overdramatic personality because I think she sees how her great, great grandmother was, you know, so skilled and so respected. And I feel like the only way she thinks she can get 
any of that respect is to be dramatic and even a little morbid. Um, people do, like you said, they treat her like a joke and her predictions. I mean, a lot of them are so vague that you can be like, oh, is that really a prediction or what? Um, but like I said before, like she has predictions versus actual prophecies. And the predictions do seem to be more of her just trying to get a quick reaction from the kids and be impressive as a seer. The prophecies are the ones where her true sight, capital S, does come through. Um, and I think her best predictions are the ones where she isn't trying to impress anybody, which are like in the... They come, like, randomly... Yeah, like, I mean, like, there's a part in um, book six where she's just, like, wandering around with her tarot cards, like, reading the cards, and they predict Malfoy and Dumbledore being up on the tower, and, and I mean, she doesn't even believe it, because he's like, that, that's a weird card to pull after that, that's weird, or, or like, when they're, um, you know, later in this book, in chapter 11, when they're at dinner for Christmas, and there's the 13 guests, and she said, the first one to rise will die and Dumbledore is the first to rise because no one realizes Peter Pettigrew is also at the table. So there are elements to her that like, yeah, she is very skilled though, like you said, people treat her like a joke. And in terms of like why they treat her like a joke, I think it's because of how she presents herself. Like she, Harry said his first impression of her is this glittering insect with these magnified eyeballs through her glasses. And, and she has that frazzled look, which they portray very well in the movies. And her classroom being so odd compared to everyone else's classrooms. And just her like being so dramatic with stuff. I think the kids just automatically treat her like a joke. And because of that, they treat her subject as a joke. And... For, in terms of Hermione and McGonagall, I think because neither of them have skills in that subject area, I think that makes them look down on it so much, which is not what they should do, of course. But I also think, too, the idea of prophecies has been so restricted to, like, you know, the Department of Mysteries like, if it's not really discussed as much and people don't have as much experience with it, it's easy to say that it's just a big joke. And, I mean, it's not like she knows that she's made the prophecy about Harry. I don't think, I mean, Dumbledore hasn't really told anyone about that. So, in terms of their eyes, here's this, like, crazy-looking woman who makes these dramatic predictions that don't really seem to come true. Or when they do, it's so trivial, it's like, eh, whatever. Or by the time they do come true, then it's like, I don't even remember her making that prediction. How many predictions, how many prophecies do you think she's truly come up with? she's, well, she's made two prophecies. Predictions, That, that we though. know of. But she's hidden away in the North Tower. Right. How many do you think she's actually well, what more, done? What I'm more curious about are, like... Like, both of her prophecies are about the Dark Lord and Harry. Like, do you think seers, true seers, their predictions center around specific people or specific events? Or could she make predictions about, like, you know, crazy random... I think she can make predictions about crazy random stuff. It doesn't... I feel like it's more, like, centered just around Voldemort. She can get triggered by major events or major... Things that happen in whatever, if she's, if I'm using her words like auras or, yeah. or things like that, she can get triggered yeah. about something specific. But I just wonder, like, with her shut up 
away and no one's really like visiting her on a constant basis. Like how many has she made that's shown up in the department of mysteries <laughs> that people are just well, like writing a whole off. other can of worms. Like how do they even show up in the, in the department of mysteries? Is it like the minute a prediction's made an orb suddenly appears? Uh, that's the impression that I get. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like an ever growing room of shelves. Yeah, that's true. So I'm assuming just one pops up and. Well, I also wonder like, because she's so close to the events, like, physically close to the location that these events are going to be occurring. I wonder if that's part of why she has the prediction as opposed to like some other seer. But then of course, like how many other seers are there? They're also extraordinarily rare, which is what McGonagall acknowledges. Which what, as you were, you know, ranting, I was trying to think like if I were a teacher and I was teaching this subject um, and I'm, I'm recognizing that yes, sight is very rare and books can only take you so far and whatnot. Like, how would you go about teaching this subject? And I know Dumbledore was like, you know, I wasn't even going to include this subject at our school because how do you teach it? And I'm sure, like, like you would have to go about it in the sense of, like, like kind of how Ferenz does later on, you know, with the whole, like, this is what you could be seeing. This is what it feels like. This, he also these, had a different take altogether. He did. His, it, 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 I feel like the best way you could approach this subject would be the theoretical of this is what it is like. And I'm going to test you not on your actual ability to see, but on your ability to like how much you know the knowledge that was in the textbook, how much you... Like, if you wouldn't be able to do the practical exam, it would just be the written exam. You know what I mean? No, I, I do get what you... Like, the tea leaves is easy. I think you could do that as, like, this is how you do this. Right, this is what you could be seeing. This is what you could be seeing. Let's Like, be. let's look at it. Let's see if something, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, the one that I would... Like, palmistry, I, that you could do very easily. The one that would be hard... Dreams would be, the, would be hard. Still easily enough. The one I think that would be hard would be crystal ball. Yeah. That would be darn near impossible. I mean, let's just stare into some glass for a while. Uh, yeah, fair. Fair. But that's not a slight against Trelawney. That's the subject no, she's no, no, teaching. No, subject. And that's... I don't think she should be discounted for that. I think where we're disagreeing is, like, her. we agree on the subject. The subject material is is way too it's too difficult to really truly teach to kids who just might not have it and so do it approach it in a theoretical way i think she is you could argue an expert in her field because she has i don't think you can even argue it she has made her prophecies and she has her predictions whenever I think where she struggles as a teacher is engaging with the kids. I mean... I think it's the same thing. So, in in that respect, to that point, mm-hmm. if you have a kid like Lavender Brown or Parvati who actually engage with you, you're an English teacher. Yeah, if it's they, very, if they very easy talk, to teach those two. Yeah, if they want to talk to you about Shakespeare, if they want to talk to you about Chaucer, you're ready to engage there. <laughs> If another kid comes up to you and is like, English is ridiculous, I hate it. Oh, I've had many of those. When I think of engagement, I'm thinking from the teaching aspect of it, of regardless if you like English or not, I'm still going to do my best to explain it to you. I'm still going to try to make it applicable to you. I'm still going to try to make it interesting to you. Whether I'm successful or not, it also depends on how much you're listening and like 
giving back as being a student. But in terms of like one-on-one, -on -one, let's hang out. You want to talk to me about stuff I'm interested in. If you give me the time of day, it's a lot easier to engage with you. But these kids are not giving her the time of day other than, like you said, the, the two. Well, especially Hermione. I think Hermione is being blatantly disrespectful to her and her profession. Right. And what do that, you want her to do with that? That is hard. I mean, like if I had that situation, I have had that situation, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I know you have. That, <laughs> that's when you have to pull them aside and do the one on one talk with them. And you're just like, listen, you know what? You clearly are struggling with my subject, and that's fine. You don't have to like my subject, that's fine, but you do have to show me respect. And right now you are not doing that, and this needs to change if we're going to proceed in our lessons. You have it, I don't know if this makes it honestly easier or harder, but you have a core competency subject. They have to take your subject. Yeah, and they have to pass it to graduate. Yes, whereas she, you can drop it. Right. And it's fine. Right. So if you're just not clicking, you can peace out. Which a lot of times, if that's the situation, you tend to end up with the kids who are engaged with it. Unless they need it for like a graduation requirement. Like, you know, I have to take an right. art credit this semester. But yeah, in general, you're going to get the kids that like at least the first year. I think our Spanish teacher can probably most engage with this because unfortunately Spanish is not a graduation requirement in our school. It should be, but it's not. Their first year that they take it, they're like, eh, okay, whatever. The later years of the Spanish classes are the ones that, like, the kids are taking it because they want to take it. They don't need to take Spanish for four right. years. They're just doing it because they want it and they like the teacher and whatever. So maybe by fourth, fifth, sixth year of being in divination – you are in it because, you know, the subject and the professor and whatever. But this first year, yeah, you're going to have the punks who are just, like, being rude to you. In which case then, like, Hermione, you got to take her aside and be like, listen, this is a struggle for you. That's okay. You're not going to be perfect at everything. And that's, She's not going to react well to that. She's though. not going to react well to that. But that's also a life lesson that you as the adult have to enforce upon her. Of Like, listen, this is life. I know every other subject has been easy for you or at least you have you know seen the value makes... of this doesn't necessarily mean it's not valuable it's just that you personally you know you might not use it in the rest of your life and that's okay but you still have to learn it because it's going to challenge your mind it's going to make you grow as a student it's going to make you more educated um even if you can't necessarily achieve it yourself you can still respect the site and how much tougher is that lesson when you have another well-respected teacher who they've already had for two years right. like, oh, going yeah. against essentially everything you're doing. She's not being the professional that she should be. Like McGonagall obviously puts a lot into her lessons and she probably has like the core lessons that I have, right? Like if this is, you have to have this to graduate. This is good for your life. Like you, you need to learn how to write. You need to learn how to read. You need to learn how to transfigure things. So from her perspective, it's. I like how subtle that was. You need to, you need to learn to read, write, transfigure. transfigure. So like for her, like she approaches education as this is so valuable to your life and we have to take this seriously. That's why, you know, I don't necessarily joke around with you. You're going to learn a lot in my class and I'm going to be a strict professor and you're going to, I'm going to respect you. You're going to respect me. And I think 
she sees Trelawney. Yes, there is the grudge against the subject, but she's also like, you could be doing so much more with these kids and the way you handle them, it doesn't get the best out of them the way I get out of them. And Just because I she think... has a different style, though, does not mean she's a poor teacher. No, it's not necessarily that. You don't I have to be the think, strict disciplinary. I think in the like her, her style, though, it, it doesn't. Like, yeah, I mean, you have people who are fantastic lecturers. I am not a great lecturer. And you have people who are great with, like, the, the hands-on types of things. Like, Trelawney, yes, she has a different style, but it's not the style that brings her down. It's the fact that she's spending so much time trying to impress the students when they don't need to be impressed. They just need a professor. Do you think, I'm just throwing this out there, that she's an actual person? And you don't think that she doesn't hear criticisms and critiques of her, of her, of well, her profession? Well, that's when she needs to get a little thicker skin. When you hear it, and, <laughs> come on now, you know. <laughs> I know, it's hard. It's very are people hard. still. It's very hard. There have been many times when I've Maybe there's a reason she lessons. doesn't stray very far from the North Tower. No, Maybe I people are she is not nice to her. human, and I give her that. And so I, she tries I know to what it's like to cry in, in Vicky Lessons. But at the same time, you can't be spending your days trying to impress the kids. They, they see that. They don't respect that. And I think that's what Hermione is also like reacting so strongly and, and negatively to it's like you know i you aren't being our professor our teacher you're trying to be our friend who's impressive and can show off and like i don't need that from you i need a lesson i think there's some deeper things there but uh <laughs> we are running way long and I do want to ask you, I, I hope we're on the same page. Are we I think then we generally are. the same page? I think you're just like. We've gone back and forth. You, I think you thought I was going to be like, you know, coming at you with the claws out kind of thing. But. You came at me hard there for a little bit. But. <laughs> uh, but you also ranted for like a good five minutes. That's true, too. And I will <laughs> rant again because I'm sure I'm going to get flack on this because people, for whatever reason. Well, give are, us your takes. We like feedback. People are down on Trelawney, so I'm going to try to fight that fight if I can. She's interesting. She's definitely important to the series. My God. She's like one of the most important yeah. professors to the series. I You can definitely take that. <laughs> uh, before we go, first of all, we're, we're on the same page. For the most part, we're good. We're good. We had a conversation. It was good. But before we leave, I know we're running way long, uh, but... Since you are the education expert, I defer. Uh-huh. What What's your final take on Hagrid and Trelawney on their first days? I think Hagrid had a rough first day, which is unfortunate since he had such a great lesson. And I'm sure he was very excited about it. I'm sure he spent a lot of time preparing it and was up late, like, not being able to sleep because this is my first day as a teacher. Super exciting. So I feel bad for him. Trelawney, I think, obviously, she's had more years of experience um, so for her, this was just another beginning of another year. Um, I think having Harry in her lesson, probably, you know, probably Harry Potter is in my room, like the whole grim thing, maybe she didn't necessarily predict was going to be the feature of her lesson. Can I just say she's not wrong for seeing the grim? No, she's not wrong. She's which, not wrong. Again, a lot of her predictions, I was, that was what I was going to say. A lot of her predictions do come true. And 
And it's just unfortunate that she gets the slack. And again, that's why I kind of wonder with like the Greek mythology, is it kind of like, a, you know, like people don't believe her, same way they didn't believe Cassandra. And they look down on her and they see her as a joke. But I, I, I it's, it, it really boils down to a lot of Trelawney's confidence as a person and her personality. And I think because she is the way she is and her family history and stuff, it's a lot of, I have to impress people even, but the things that could really truly impress people, she doesn't know about, you know, she doesn't know about her own predictions her her own prophecies about Harry. And, and the one person who does know about them isn't talking about them. So because her life would be in her danger. Her life would be in danger. So, so I mean, like, yeah. you know, she's trying to be impressive without realizing that she is impressive. And because it's not her she, fault, though. Yeah, it's not her, not fault, her fault. And she just doesn't know it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we did essentially a pretty good character dive on Trelawney. So, <laughs> which I know people are going to listen to this and they're going to have opinions. And people on this podcast are going to listen to this and they're going to have opinions. So it's probably not the last time we're going to talk about this. So uh, let us know what you all think. Please hit us up on Twitter. We will be more than responsive. Oh, yeah. I'm going uh, to some fun stuff. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Come at me. It's all good. It's all love. We're just talking Harry Potter. It's all great. So uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts of Pod. Uh, engage. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. And thank you to our new followers. We're getting up there with our numbers, which is kind of fun. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of growth. Uh, yeah. Thank you again to you on the Twitter and thank you to Anna on the Instagram uh, for helping all of that out. Um, they they put a lot of great stuff on there. I contribute very, very little, but I do contribute, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> so You're our editing master. Um, yeah, I, I do what I can. So um, thank you to everybody listening. Thank you to everybody following. We really appreciate it. And we will catch you on the next episode. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.